May the meditation of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. These are hard words of Jesus in our gospel. Uh, they're sobering words where he says, do not think that I've come to bring peace, but division. Uh, Jesus is talking about part of the cost of following him for some people. Uh, about 10 years ago, there was a young man named Nabil who was raised in a Muslim family, a very loving uh, family, devout family. And after a, several years of a difficult spiritual journey, intellectual journey, really agonizing for him, uh, he finally came to the place where he was convinced that Jesus was indeed the Son of God. And so he told his parents, which he did not, he was not looking forward to doing that at all. He knew how hard it was going to be on them. And when he told his dad, his dad said, oh, well, he said, I'd never seen my dad cry until that day. And his dad said, I feel like my backbone is being ripped out. When he told his mother, his mother uh, cried out, how could you betray me, you see? And then she fell into a heap of tears, and she had to be taken to the hospital, and she survived. But Nabil says that the light uh, in her eyes kind of went out that day, and her eyes were never as bright as, as since, since that time. So um, Nabil today is a, uh, is a Christian minister, he is an apologist for the Christian faith. He's getting a Ph.D. in New Testament studies. The relationship with his parents is being restored slowly, thank God, but there's this division that still remains. There's still tension in this family. And the division is over the person of Jesus. Exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Part of the cost of following him. Jesus describes how families will be divided because of him. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. And when we read these words, they're hard because we, what we really long for in our world today is the opposite of what Jesus is talking about. We want unity and we want peace and we see the need for it in our world today. I mean, just think about what happened in St. Louis a couple of years ago with the Michael Brown shooting, and that was last week was the uh, this last week was the anniversary of that. And we know that 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 this world needs reconciliation and unity among the races. Here in St. Louis, we want to see that happening. We hear about uh, violence, religious uh, violence, every week. It seems we want there to be unity among people of different beliefs. And then, of course, it really hits home when, when we have experienced in our family life divisions among people and rifts. It's so painful uh, when family members don't talk to one another for years on end. And so we kind of recoil from these words of Jesus Christ because not only is it sort of rub against our, 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 some of our deepest longings for unity and peace among people, but it also doesn't seem to square with what we know about Jesus. Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. Jesus promises his followers peace. 
when Jesus was born, the angels sang out, peace on earth and goodwill to men. So how do you square all this with what Jesus is saying? Well, uh, I like what J.C. Ryle says in his commentary on this passage of Scripture. J.C. Ryle said this, Wherever there are hearers of the gospel who are hardened, unrepentant, determined to have their sin, the very message of peace becomes the cause of division. Whenever there are people who are hardened, who do not want to turn to Christ, who do not want to repent, who do not want to give up their way of life for the sake of the kingdom, then the very message that was to bring them peace does, in fact, become a cause of division. Jesus is indeed the Prince of Peace. He brings lasting peace to our lives. And there is coming a day when He will reign and people will acknowledge that He is the Son of God, that He is Lord of lords and King of kings, and His peace will reign over this earth. And as Christians, we ought to continue to pray for peace and to work for peace and unity as a sign of the coming kingdom of God but the kingdom is not here yet. And so, as J.C. Ryle says, oftentimes the very message of peace can become a cause of peace, or because a cause of division. And I think those of us who've been Christians for any length of time can see that. We see that in our own families, as painful as it is. And Jesus said that this will happen. He uses this image in verse 49, and I think this is what he's talking about when he says, I came to cast fire on the earth, and would that it were already kindled. In other words, he knows that there's a mission ahead of him, and he, he wants to get on with it, but he knows that it's going to be disruptive and painful. The image of fire brings up that image of turmoil and strife and pain and suffering that is to come. The image of fire also suggests the judgment of God Throughout the scripture, the judgment of God is symbolized by fire. And there's a refining process at work in the judgment of God. In the Gospel of Luke, it's, it's clear Jesus teaches that God's final judgment is based on how people respond to him. God's final judgment is based on how people respond to God's Son. And so in this, in this chapter, in Luke chapter 12, verses 8 and 9, let me read it to you. And I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. And so what Jesus is teaching here is that God's final judgment in heaven is based on how people on earth respond to Him. God's final judgment then is based on how people respond now to the Son of God. So the ultimate division, the ultimate gulf, the ultimate separation in humanity is not race. It's not status. It's not success. It's not IQ. It's not talent. It is... Jesus, he is the ultimate cause of, well, the cause of, rather, ultimate sort of separation in humanity. And uh, that should, if we believe that, and what Jesus is teaching, propel us as Christians to pray for those who don't know Christ, 
and to ask God for ways that we can talk to them about this ultimate question. Who do you think Jesus is? That's what Jesus asked the Apostle Peter. Who do you say that I am? And that's the issue we want to, in our relationships, when we are um, talking to people who are apart from Christ, in our relationships, if the occasion comes up to talk about the things of God, or the church, or religion, and people began to share their opinions about Christianity, and we know there are lots of opinions about Christianity and what's happening in the church, we can cut right through all that with the question, well, who do you think Jesus is? That will open up possibly a window to share the gospel. But that's the deciding factor. Who do you say that I am? And we want people to wrestle with that question. God's final judgment is based on how we respond to his son, Jesus Christ. And so Jesus warns his followers Members of the crowd that he's, uh, and, his, and, the, and the people in the crowd here, his disciples are here, the crowd is here, and he's, he's kind of warning them, listen, this is what you're signing up for. This could, leave, this could uh, cause a rift in your own, own family if you follow me. He's giving them fair warning. Uh, this is at a time in Jesus' ministry where his popularity is off the charts. Uh, it says at the beginning of this chapter that so many thousands of people, this is verse 1, so many thousands of people had gathered together to hear Jesus that they were trampling on one another because they wanted to hear Jesus teach. They wanted to see the miracle worker. They loved to see Jesus, the uh, unordained, untrained rabbi, stick it to the seminary professors. And stump them. The crowds love that. And Jesus is gaining popularity at this time. But now he's saying something to kind of thin the herd out. So they'll understand what they're in for. If they're going to follow him. He's saying that I'm a cause of division. And we know historically that happened. In the early church. That people who were following Christ. Jewish people are often excommunicated. Or cast out of the synagogue. They had some of them to leave their families behind. And it still happens today in our world thank god that for many of us in our families it hasn't happened but in other parts of the world it does happen and so that's what jesus is talking about this difficult fact that he can be a cause of division and he's demanding here ultimate loyalty to him in our second part of this reading verses 54 through 56 what Jesus is getting at here is that I really want you to understand what's happening, what God is doing in me. Understand the times. Understand the moment. So he says to the crowd, uh, you're good at understanding what's happening in the natural world. When you see a cloud rising in the west, and I think that would have been, you know, he's talking about a cloud maybe rising over the Mediterranean Sea. That was a sign that rain was on its way. People were, of course, very astute at interpreting these natural events to predict the weather. They didn't have the Doppler radar or Channel 5 or the weather station. So they were able to look and see what was happening around them and predict what was going on in the weather. 
When you see a cloud rising in the east, you say at once, a shower's coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing from the, from the desert regions, you know there's going to be a scorching heat, and it happens. And he says, you hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? In other words, don't you see the time of God happening in my ministry? The word that Jesus uses here, the word that Luke is using here is um, for time is kairos. Kairos time. In Greek, there are two, at least two, maybe there's more, but I know two words for time. Chronos, chronological time, clock time, the time that just ticks away. And then there's kairos time. And kairos time is the opportune time. It is the supreme moment. It is the time of crisis. It is the time of decision making. It is the moment of a turning point. And what Jesus is saying is for the people who are listening to him, don't you see it's Kairos time for you? In my ministry, can you interpret the signs? You can interpret the signs of the weather, but can you interpret the signs of God at work in my ministry? You know, when he heals the sick, when he raises the dead, when he feeds the hungry, all throughout his ministry, in his authoritative teaching, they said, no one's ever taught like this before. And Jesus is saying, don't you recognize the signs? Don't you see that God is here in me? And it's a time to follow. Even though it's going to be difficult. See, if he, if, he, if, he, if he didn't point out who he was and what God was doing in him, then you could easily dismiss what he has said in verses 49 through 53. Because who can ask us to do this? To follow somebody and uh, it might lead to division with those we love. Who has the right to do that? Who has the right to demand that kind of loyalty to us, on us? From us. <laughs> Only God. Only God really has the right to do this. To say I want you to follow me. And it's going to be a cause of division. With your, with your loved ones. And that's what Jesus is getting at. God is at work clearly in me. He is the son of God. We have to remember who's asking these things of us. Who's asking for our deepest loyalty. It's the very Son of God. And it's the one who said in verse 50, I don't want to overlook verse 50. Look at that. The one who's asking us for our supreme loyalty, the loyalty that will override all other loyalties, even to our family, if need be, is the one who said in verse 50, I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Now he's talking about the cross. At this point in the Gospel of Luke, and Luke has marked this in, in a couple of places, Jesus is headed towards Jerusalem, and he knows he's headed towards his passion, his suffering on the cross, and his death. And he knows he's going to be plunged into this suffering by the will of God. And he's facing it voluntarily so the one who is asking us to suffer is willing to suffer for us 
The one who's saying to us, you might be separated from those you love because of me, was willing to be separated from his father. At the cross, he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? For that moment, he was separated, in a sense, from his father. The one who says, judgment is coming, the fire of God's judgment, based on how people respond to me, was willing to take the judgment of God upon himself at the cross for us. So we don't have to face that judgment apart from the mercy of God. And so that makes all the difference, I think, brothers and sisters. It means people can ask for our deepest loyalty. People can demand our allegiance. But here is Christ demanding this of us who has suffered for us willingly. You know, there's a story of the true story of a Belgian priest named Father Damien who was uh, a minister to lepers in Hawaii, a little island of Hawaii, and he served there for several years. And the people loved him. Um, he showed them the mercy of God. He served them. He organized um, their colony, and he, and he brought medicine to them and helped them a great deal. So the people were loyal to him. They loved him. They revered him. One day, Father Damien spilt boiling hot water on his foot, and he realized he didn't feel anything. So he did it again as a test, and again he didn't, re he didn't feel anything. So he knew what had happened. And so he started his morning sermon a little different than usually. Normally he would say, my fellow believers... But this morning, and he was tearing up, he said, my fellow lepers. He had become one of them in his suffering. And do you think they loved him even more? Do you think they listened to him even more after that? Do, they think, do you think he, they were even more loyal to him after that? My point is, when Jesus Christ calls us to follow him, no matter the cost, He's not asking us to do this from some place of comfort or distant deity who's uncaring. He is a God who's entered into suffering. He's a God who's shown us great love by entering into this world of suffering and pain. And he's redeemed it through his sacrificial love. So when a crisis comes, a crisis of faith, or there's a turning point, or there's a decision that we have to make, well, are we going to follow Christ? Or are we going to follow the world? Remember to look to the one who's given his life for you. In our, in our, in our uh, epistle reading, the writer talks about running this race of faith and talks about the great victories that people of God experienced, but also the great suffering. Boy, that's the life of faith, isn't it? Great victories, times of victories, and seasons of suffering. But they stayed on the path because of the promise of God. And then the writer admonishes us. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. How are we going to run this race? Even in the midst of suffering and difficulty. Looking to Jesus. Looking to the one who gave his life for us on the cross and who for the joy that was set before him endured that very cross despising the shame 
So a student, a student uh, in high school or college, there's going to there's gonna come critical moments. Will I follow Christ or not? Will I be loyal to, loyal to Christ or not? It's going to happen. A professional business person, there's going to come a time of crisis in your career. Am I going to follow Christ and be loyal to the principles of God's Word? Or am I going to compromise? If I compromise, I might get the promotion. If I don't, I might lose the position. Am I going to be loyal to Christ? A son or a daughter might experience division with parents. Parents might experience division with their children over Christ. The church might be looked upon by the surrounding community as sort of backwards, regressive, because of loyalty to the word of Christ. But the one who matters most is this one, who said, I'm going to undergo a baptism, a baptism of suffering for the sins of the whole world. Let's remain loyalty, loyal to him. Let's stay with the race and keep our eyes on Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we do want to stay loyal to you. We do want to keep our eyes on you. And um, I think I can confess on behalf of all of us here that sometimes our hearts are prone to wonder, as the song says. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, Lord. Take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Pray that for my life. I pray that for this church that we would stay loyalty, loyal to you no matter what the cost. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.